0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of COVID Conversations, a special presentation of OCPOD, the official podcast of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. These recordings began in December 2020 with the hope of discussing ongoing issues related to COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2. We hope you enjoy.
1: This is COVID Conversations. I'm Erin Ransford and I'm here with our hosts, Drs. Ismail Nabil and Manny Brangi. Dr. Nabil is a Deputy Medical Director of Employee Health, Safety, and Wellness for the Mount Sinai Health System and an Associate Professor in the Department of Environmental Medicine and Public Health at the Icahn School of Medicine. He is a Fellow of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine and is the Chair of ACOM's Council on Scientific Affairs. Dr. Brenji is a board-certified physician specializing in occupational and environmental medicine, preventive medicine, and non-operative musculoskeletal medicine. An ACOM fellow, Dr. Brenji chairs ACOM's member communications committee and is involved in several special intersections. She is the chief of occupational health at the Long Beach VA Healthcare System in Long Beach, California. She also holds a faculty appointment as clinical assistant professor in the Department of Environmental and Occupational Health at the UC Irvine School of Public Health. Today is April twenty first, twenty twenty two. On this episode, we discuss the Omicron variant, measuring disease prevalence in wastewater, and thoughts on lifting mask restrictions. Hi, Dr. Nabil. Hi, Dr. Branji. It's been a little while since we've recorded a podcast. It's nice to speak with you both again.
2: Um, hi, Aaron. Hi, Manny. Um, good to see you guys all. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a while, but uh, there's so many things happening again uh, in the world of COVID.
0: Indeed. It's great to be back. Thank you, guys.
2: We are starting to see an increase in number of cases. Um, that's unfortunate because we did see some decline after late surge uh, last year, early this year, of Omicron BA1, which starting to circulate pretty quickly. And especially in Northeast, we saw substantial numbers and then it subsequently dropped. That has changed uh, since past two months, so we we're starting to see some increase in numbers. Um, but before we jump into that, I I, th- I think it will be an interesting um, discussion to talk about um, sort of current CDC guidelines on masking and um, how we look at the numbers. What do you think, Manny?
0: Oh, so in the last few months, the CDC has come up with some new guidelines around determining COVID nineteen. Uh, community levels of spread. And they've kind of changed the metrics. So I know we're all used to seeing those curves, looking at incident rates. um, But now the CDC is really advising us to kind of take a a more in-depth approach when it comes to interpreting what's happening with respect to community spread. So they've set that uh, benchmark at 200 cases per 100,000. And they're really focusing on hospitalizations. They're looking at the number of new COVID-19 admissions per 100,000, and they're actually focusing on the seven-day average, so that way they can kind of get an impression as to what's happening over time. They're also looking at the percentage of staffed inpatient beds uh, in use by COVID-19 patients, and again, that's using a seven-day average as well. So the CDC is really trying to uh, advise uh, the general public about what's happening in terms of impacts on hospitalizations, as opposed to just focusing on incidence rates on a day-by-day basis.
2: Yeah, and that's definitely a change from before. And I I think uh, looking at it, we have substantial decrease in numbers of hospitalization and and deaths since we've been seeing the Omicron surge. And that trend has uh, followed uh, not only in the United States, but across the world. We have seen decline in numbers. Um, And especially it's true for Omicron because the the amount of uh, exponential number of cases that we saw that did not subsequently translate it into hospitalization or deaths. That's very good and encouraging news.
1: But the case count could possibly be uh, falsely represented because of the the influx of at-home testing and the lack of people reporting those results.
2: Absolutely. And so that's the part that we... Need to understand. We do not have a good understanding of um, positivity you know, because there's a lot of home testing uh, available, and it's been used more extensively than many uh, than in the past. Um, so that that definitely uh, does uh, complicate things a little bit more. But we'll we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what the community surveillance uh, looks like now. For the past two weeks, there has been a uh, surge in cases about 39% uh, in uh, 32 states, which is a little bit concerning. Mostly, we are seeing uh, a rise of uh, Omicron BA2, um, which uh, we saw an explosive rise of BA1 early on, and then subsequently BA2 is a subvariant of Omicron that's been increasing. Um with BA one, we have seen upwards of fifty percent Americans have been infected with Omicron, which uh, makes it um, a very infectious virus. And again, it also allows us to um, see that Omicron infecting that number of people in the community uh, provides a protective layer um, of further transmission of new variant into the community so so that's um, also encouraging um ba2 is especially has been on on the rise particularly in northeast in my part of the world uh in new york it's about uh, increases 93 percent current leader is uh, washington dc with 151 uh, percent increase in cases um so for past two weeks so definitely it's uh, it's surging forward. The BA2 seems to follow similar trends as BA1 as far as the infectivity is concerned, but it's definitely infectious, uh, I would say, uh, compared to BA1. The it's a surprising thing for me, especially is uh, seeing this case number increase in Northeast where uh, vaccinations are and and boosters are are sub- are significantly high compared to rest of the country. Um, so we, we're not seeing a in substantial increase in number of cases, but we do see an increase in um, number of uh, infection among, among people. So very um, interesting um, trend that uh, we have seen so far. Uh, that's not the case in southern part of the country. Uh, Most of of the increased surges are in Northeast.
1: Are there any notable symptom differences between BA1 and BA2? Um,
2: So BA2 is definitely, um, it seems like a little bit more infectious compared to BA1. There are a couple of reasons behind that. We are lumping BA2 into one. It basically has um, additional lineage. So, right now in New York, we're looking at uh, two possible daughters of BA2, which is BA2.12 and BA2.12.1, which which is a mutation of the BA2. Um, BA2 has been mutated about almost 21 times, uh, but these two variants, our daughters, um, are more meaningful, have a meaningful impact on the population level. Um, they tend to spread more quickly. The 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 lineage for BA 2.1, 2.1 um, there's a si- significant growth trajectory for that variant compared to BA one. So so essentially, in simple words, BA two has evolved and had gotten more aggressive compared to BA one.
1: But the symptom profiles are similar.
2: The symptom profiles have not changed. One of the things that gets raised all the time is 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 Omicron itself protective of additional variants? So, if you have Omicron one in the past, uh, BA one, can can you be protected against BA two? And that that question is is a little bit of a difficult question to answer. We did see that uh, people with Delta infections early on are not protected against Omicron, and Omicron tend to sweep through um, those individuals who have previously been infected with Delta. But it seems that uh, the BA2.12.1 2.1, 2.1, um, has a mutation called L452Q, um, which actually creates a change in the spike proteins. So there's a potential possibility that uh, people who are infected with Omicron 1 uh, can get Omicron 2 as well, um, but yet to be seen. There's a a lot of complexity in that. So I'm, I'm hopeful that um, the first wave we got of Omicron 1 will continue to protect us against um, a wide surge of Omicron 2. Uh, in Northeast, we have almost 100% cases now or is Omicron 2. Omicron BA 2, so that's a substantial change from the past two weeks. And we'll continue to see the Omicron BA 2 uh, surge forward it burns out, uh, which is a very natural phenomenon now for all COVID infections. Fascinating indeed.
1: I think the question everybody wants to know is, when is this going to stop? (laughs) I mean, if if, if people are vaccinated and boosted and still getting infected, and if before we were saying that the the way to get over this pandemic is to get everybody vaccinated and everybody boosted, and, and these mutations keep evading vaccinations. So when does it stop?
2: <laughs> so, so the so to answer to your question is, um, no, it, it has not. The e- evasion of or complete null- nullification of efficacy of vaccine is if the person ends up in the hospital or dies. Those are two biggest parameters that, we, at least as a physician, I look at um, to look at the efficacy of, of vaccines. If you take example of a flu, we don't have effective, uh, really effective vaccines, yet they prevent hospitalization and death. And that itself is the biggest parameter of efficacy of the vaccine. So for now, at this point in time, current vaccines, what we have, have been able to uphold that there's a decrease in hospitalization and death. And um, since the alpha uh, strain of the virus, vaccine has not been able to prevent infection or infectivity with uh, with the virus. Um, that's not unusual for respiratory virus. Mutation continues to occur. Um, but as long as the vaccine protects against death and hospitalization, um, I'll take it.
1: Is the, the flu variants that we see... Uh, annually or seasonally rather a mutation of the the 1918 flu virus
2: so spanish uh, flu or 1918 uh, pandemic uh, flu viruses um, lineage has uh, substantially a change we we have seen uh, a more timid virus um, in circulation compared to what we have seen in 1918 uh, spanish flu so it's it's a much different virus uh, that circulates in the community compared to what it was in 1918. Uh, I, I think I want to bring up one last question is, and you raised it, Aaron, in the past, is as we're doing the home testing, uh, so what do we have in, uh, at our disposal? What about the wastewater?
0: The wastewater analyses that have been going on the last uh, year has been very eye-opening. And as a society, if we can try to find metrics further upstream, you know, not just looking at community spread or hospitalizations, because those are more lagging indicators. But if we can look further upstream and identify, you know, what's happening before we start seeing that rise in incidents, that can really help with forecasting and help with uh, trying to optimize our responses accordingly. And right now, the CDC actually has a national surveillance system uh, across 43 states in the United States. And they're actually able to see what's happening in terms of what's appearing in wastewater, uh, uh, municipalities across these 43 states. And, you know, the data is actually very informative. Public health officials can interpret that they can look at what's happening with respect to community spread. So I think as we go forward, using some of these additional data points can help inform how leaders are able to better communicate to the public about what's happening. Uh, not only about COVID, but potentially other infectious uh, diseases that may come up in the future.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think it's an interesting tool for oc- occupational medicine physicians. If you're living in a community which uh, which is reporting wastewater increased numbers, I-, I think you can have a feel for your employees being potentially infected uh, and you can improve your surveillance systems within the organization to help to control the infections. Again, it's it's not a... I would say gold standard, but certainly give you a trend. Uh, how about the recent news on about the masking?
0: I saw that announcement a couple of days back and, you know, at least with respect to masking and, you know, the judge who made that decision uh, was using information uh, that uh, at least at this point in time, uh, masks do not necessarily offer the same level of protection that they once did. Um, I know there's been growing a uh, level of evidence demonstrating that at least over the last two and some years, uh, that masks are not necessarily providing that uh, additional protection. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I know the department of justice, um, is appealing that decision made by that Florida judge, but, you know, I think the debate continues, you know, at least as we proceed on, um, do, are we seeing more uh, benefits with masking or is it going to be based on uh, an individual's ability to do that risk assessment and determine for oneself is masking up the way to go to protect uh, an individual's um, potential for getting COVID?
1: Yeah, and I, I think that we, we really need to to shift the narrative to, to focus on encouraging People that are symptomatic at all or that have tested positive to wear a mask to protect them from infecting others. If lower quality masks aren't offering as much protection against these newer strains as the previous ones, then, you know, I think we need to, to really encourage and have the the public health communication be that anybody with symptoms or that has tested positive, if they're going out in public, should wear masks so they aren't spreading virus to other people. Hand-washing and sanitizing is something that we should just continue to do as regular general practice. And, and I think to what Dr. Brenji alluded to earlier is that people that are immunocompromised or at greater risk might want to continue to wear a high-quality, high-filtration mask in um, larger group settings or an in, indoor. So I, I think what what we're hearing now is is a lot of people just being excited that the mask mandate is over and going from all to nothing, when really there should be a thoughtful narrative and communication as to when masking is most appropriate.
2: Uh, well said. I think that, that concludes our, our discussion. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Ismail. Thank you both very much. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with another edition of COVID Conversations.